we are continuing today. Today we, we reached the halfway point in our series, Understanding Church. And over the first couple of weeks, what we've done is, is we've tackled things that are commonly understood amongst churches. Uh, basically, we have told you nothing that any healthy church, and probably a lot of unhealthy churches, we've said nothing that they would disagree with, right? We've talked about the fact that prayer and fasting, week one, prayer and fasting are vital to the ministry and the mission of the church, that that's a way that God has called us. Nobody argues with that. Now, not every church practices it well, but we all agree with it. And then last week, we talked about the fact that every church is to be on mission. Uh, those aren't our words. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 28, that, that uh, therefore go and make disciples and, and um, baptizing and teaching and sending them out. And no church is going to disagree that we need to be on mission. Now, we may, some churches may argue about the way we get on mission, but we all agree we're on mission. But today, we actually start switching gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about something that um, is less agreed upon, which is more of something that we would call a blessed hope distinctive. So if you're visiting with us today, man, you picked a weird Sunday, um, but it's cool. We're going to have a lot of fun, I think. Uh, but this is one of those things that, that uh, we need to understand up front that this is not a, if you disagree with what Matt's going to say, that means that you can't possibly be here at Blessed Hope and you can't possibly be a Christian. No, that, that's, not, that's not this at all. Um, what we're talking about today is something we would call a distinctive, okay? And you can be good Christians and have different understandings um, about our topic today. What we're talking about is um, gender in the church. Specifically, we're talking about uh, something that's, that's a little bit debated in our culture. Uh, and if you take a snapshot of the, the churches around town, about half would fall on this side and about half would fall on this side. And why is that? And where does Blessed Hope fall? And we're talking about the role of women in the church, uh, in the family and in the church. And we're going to see what God has to say about that. So I'm going to acknowledge for you up front, this is a weird hot buttony kind of a topic, okay? And so I'm going to ask you to do this for me. Stay with me. Hear what it is that we're talking about. See what the Word of God says about this. I promise you I'm going to fairly give you um, the information for all of these different perspectives. And then if you have disagreement with me after the fact, disagreement with the church, let's have conversation about it. Let's talk about it. Tune in to the B-Side podcast where we're going to hear some more specific details as that comes up later in the week. But um, stay, stay, uh, stay with me as we go through this. There are basically four uh, views on the role of men and women in the church um, and in the family and in society, uh, at least coming from churches. Okay, uh, There's something called feminism. You're familiar with that. There's something called egalitarianism, which we'll talk a lot more about today, and something called complementarianism, which we'll talk a lot more about today. And on the extreme end, uh, you have patriarchy. What I'm going to tell you up front is that we are a complementarian church. So we are um, complementarians um, as a church body, and we'll break down what that, what that means. Okay? Um, I'll give you a little snapshot, though just up front in case you're like, okay, when's he going to get there? Here's what it means. It means that men and women are created of equal value, but they are created distinct, okay? Um, so, so they are distinct and different, but they are dependent on one another. 
this idea that God in creation did not create us to be the same. And I'm not talking physically, biologically. We get that. Um, although that gets blurred in our, our world today a little bit too. But God creates us um, internally, emotionally. Okay, He creates us different. But he creates us in a way that we are dependent on one another. Okay, and we're going to really get into that and break that apart, but that's what complementarian means. Egalitarianism means that, yes, biologically we're different, but that different doesn't extend into the way that we function in roles. Okay? Feminism is on the complete left that says, basically, everything male is wrong. Okay? Uh, and, and I'm not trying to throw stones at, at, at feminism or anything, but that's, that's in, the doctrine of feminism would say that, that everything that's inherently male is evil because it drives in a distinction, and there should be no distinction. Um, in general, uh, feminists don't, and, and there, may be an, 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 there may be an outlying example, okay, but I'm talking about in general, feminists don't view the Bible with much authority. The reason for that is because, and again, this is stated dogma um, for biblical feminists, is that the Bible is a book written by men, for men, with the purpose of, for the purpose of retaining power for men. And so when it comes to social moral issues, uh, biblical feminists will tend to be um, very much on the left. Um, abortion, Okay. Uh, marry who you want, um, be sexually involved with who you want whenever you want, uh, those kinds of things. And they would tend to fall that way, again, because they view the Bible with great skepticism. Okay? Now, we come over here, and we get the patriarchy side, and it's not much better. Okay? The patriarchy side goes all the way to the other extreme, and this is where we get a lot of misogyny and the putting down and the keeping down of women. In a patriarchal church, women, you wouldn't get to vote on anything your husband would vote for you. And if you didn't have a husband, your father would vote for you. You could be 55 years old, and your father would vote for you in an extreme patriarchal church. And so what we see in those two extremes is they're not biblical. They're not biblical because um, each one thrives as they oppress the other. Okay, So feminism would say masculinity is not to be trusted, and so it's wrong. Patriarchy would say, you know what? Women aren't to be trusted, and so they're kept down. Okay? We just we don't pay a lot of attention to those things, and so we're not going to dig into them today. We're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about and looking at Scripture that will tell us about egalitarianism, complementarianism, because those are the most biblical ways that we can understand this. All right? So um, we're going to start with... Um, well, let me just tell you this, too. I guess uh, I want you to know that being a complementarian church, that was not a simple process for Blessed Hope. Now, it predates me. That's not a Matt Hance thing. Um, like, you get certain things that are Matt Hance things, right? Like, I mean, you just know that. You, like, just, we are who we are. Like, you got a guy sitting up here on a chair and drinking his coffee, and that's a Matt Hance thing. Um, we've got a coffee machine. I'll own it, and that's me, right? But this idea of... Um, how we view women in the church, that's not Matt. That didn't come from Matt. That is something that um, the founders of Blessed Hope had to wrestle with early and often in their formation. 
It's, it's something that took a great deal of study, a great deal of prayer, and a great deal of understanding before they made that decision. It wasn't come too quickly, it wasn't come too lightly, and it didn't come without cost. I, I mean, I'd encourage you to talk to uh, Mike, who was up here earlier, or Dave, or Kevin, or Mark, um, Lyle, when he returns uh, from Arizona, but, but talk to some of the folks that were part of that conversation at the beginning, and it didn't come lightly, and it didn't come without cost. There were people that left the church at its formation because they disagreed wholeheartedly with the call to be a complementarian church. But one of the things I appreciate about our elders is when you go to the Word, and you do the best you can to interpret the word and follow the word. Consequences are what they are. There's not a lot you can do except go where God's leading. And I think as we get into scripture today, we're going to see that that's the clear way that God leads this, even though we can be good Christians and disagree. Okay, so let's start with egalitarian. This is what egalitarian is on paper. Uh, egalitarianism would teach that the, uh, the belief that a fully authoritative Bible. So this is the first thing that we love about folks and churches that are egalitarian in nature is that they are rooted in the Bible. We love it when people are rooted in the Bible. We love it when people say, hey, let's open up the Bible and see what it has to say because we are people that love to open up the Bible and see what it has to say. And so anytime somebody wants to have a conversation that starts with, well, let's look at scripture, we are all in. Okay, we are all in on that. And so these are people, the belief that a fully authoritative Bible, authoritative means that it is God's word for us and it is good for today. Fully inspired, inspired, fully authoritative. Um, and so right away, hey, we are good. Uh, even if we disagree, we're okay. A fully authoritative Bible supports the freedom of women under Christ without male supervision to follow their God-given callings and special gifts of the Spirit, including the leadership ministries of elder and lead teacher. And, and really what we're talking about is that issue of um, elder and lead teacher. In a patriarchy church, women um, basically are expected to work with children, and that is the extent. Okay? In a complementarian church as we are, women have full reign um, to lead and serve and and teach and administer, with the exception of places where God has clearly said no, which we would teach, is as elders and lead teachers, elders and pastors, okay? Uh, so that's the difference. That last step there, that last line, is the difference between an egalitarian church and a complementarian church. Basically, the teaching is this. Um, if there's a role in the church that's open to men, an egalitarian would say it is also open to women, Okay? And they would go theologically through the Bible to point that out. Okay, so let's, let's break apart the argument a little bit. And there starts in Genesis 1.27. Here's, here's what it says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so here we get right off the bat in Genesis in the creation story. And by the way, the issue of complementarianism and egalitarian always goes back to Genesis. You're like, Matt, skip ahead to the church. Well, we'll get to the church in the New Testament, but it has to start here because there's something about the way that God creates in the beginning that informs what it's supposed to look like from the beginning on. And so the egalitarian would say that in the beginning, God created, and the focus here is on oneness, sameness. Again, not biologically, 
But in all other ways, the focus is on sameness. God created human beings in his own image. Not he created men in his image, and then he created women differently. Not he created women in his image, and he created men differently. But he created human beings as a whole, humanity, in his image, male and female, both in his image. And so the egalitarian would say the focus here is on oneness, equalness, sameness, not distinct, but same, okay? And so we would say to, to the egalitarian, well, okay, wait a minute, because we read all through the Old Testament, and there's a very distinct role for men and women. And they would say, well, sure there is, but that's a result of this. So they would skip ahead to Genesis 3.16 to, to what we know as the fall and the curse. And they would say, so uh, this is Jesus talking. He said to the woman, or I'm sorry, God talking, He said to the woman, I will sharpen. This is him giving curses now because sin has entered the world. He's giving curses. He starts with telling man, hey, by the way, man, the ground is going to be hard for you to work. Okay. And then he gets here and he says to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. In pain, you will give birth, right? I mean, some of you have given birth and it's been painful. Um, And by some of you, to clarify, I mean you women. Uh, Men, it was painful for us in a different way. Okay, so you know what that is. And and then he adds this other part of the curse that says, and your desire uh, will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And so we get the second half of the curse that says, women, your desire will be to have the position of authority of your husband, but you won't have it because he will be over you. And that's what, what an egalitarian would say is that the idea of male headship is a is a direct result of the fall. That in Genesis 1, there was oneness between men and women. And now because of Genesis 3, because sin enters the world, God injects the idea of headship into this relationship, and that's part of the curse. So they would view um, the distinction as part of sin in the world. And then they would get all the way to Galatians 3, and here's what they would say. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, or this part, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what they would say is um, that if there was oneness at the beginning, and there's a lot of ifs with egalitarianism, so let's, let's walk through this. Now, this isn't me trying to poke fun at, at egalitarianism, um, but I am poking holes in it uh, because it's, it's not the way that I read scripture. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, well, this makes more sense to me, I, I'm not picking on you. Um, but, but there's a whole lot of ifs in that. And so we go back and we say, well, if there was oneness here, and if headship is a direct result of the fall, and, and that's what's happening in the Old Testament with, with uh, male headship, and then we get to Jesus, and if this text means what we want it to mean, which says that now there are no longer any distinctions, then we would say that egalitarianism is the way to go, Okay. But that's not what this means. But they would get here and say, well, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Okay? And that's a great text. That's a powerful text. We love that text. We share that text all the time. That's a big deal. But we need to know what it's saying and what it's not saying. And in the context of Galatians 3, what Paul is writing about, and by the way, 
Paul is the one where we get the majority of the New Testament information here. Um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul shares in different contexts the way to view this. But what he's saying here is not that there is no longer headship or role distinction. What he's saying is we are all God's children through faith. Okay? For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Therefore, there are no longer distinctions. What Paul's saying here is, I don't care if you are a Jew who traditionally had been viewed as being close to God, or you are a Gentile who traditionally was viewed as being far away from God. I don't care if you are a slave who is indentured to somebody else. I don't care if you are a free man who has no master. I don't care if you are a male who traditionally has power in the culture, if you are a female who traditionally does not. He says, I don't care who you are in that context. You all now have an identity in Christ. You all have free access to salvation through Christ. You all get to walk directly into the throne room as children of God. That's Paul's point here. He's not talking about headship as much as he's talking about now we all have access, okay, and then egalitarians would point to just a smattering of things in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, we see women serving uh, and prophesying in prayer in public gatherings. Prophesying there means they're teaching. Okay? Um, it, prophesying does not necessarily mean what we think it means. Uh, what it means is they're worshiping and, and they're sharing truth. Uh, prophesying in this context is a lot like giving a devotional. It's a lot like sharing, well, here's what I read in Mark 6, and here's what I think it means, and here's how we can be encouraged by it. And so we see in 1 Corinthians 11, we see women prophesying and, and praying in public gatherings. In Philippians 4, we, we read about women evangelists, women whose sole purpose is to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. Acts 12, uh, we read about women helping with their husbands to lead house churches. Uh, in Romans 16, we, we meet two women, Priscilla and Junia, um, and both of them are signaled out by Paul as vital workers in the ministry for Christ. And so what would happen is, is egalitarians would say, well, God creates oneness. Sin injects this idea of separation and headship. Christ comes along, defeats sin, so that goes away. And now we see in the New Testament, we see women serving in significant roles. And when it comes to the difficult text, and we're going to look at one difficult text today, when it comes to difficult text, actually we'll look at two, uh, Ephesians 5, the text on uh, family and marriage in the church. Uh, when we get to Ephesians 5 or in 1 Corinthians, um, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy um, chapter 2, we're going to read some of those things um, that read restrictive, and the egalitarian go-to is Paul didn't mean what he said. Okay, that's, that's I mean, just understand what, what, what that is, is that's saying, what they're going to say is, well, Paul said that, sure, but it wasn't about that, it was about the culture that they lived in. For example, good historical research will tell us that in Ephesus, um, there is a uh, prominent temple to Artemis female God. And so when Paul says, um, hey, there's some restrictions, women love your husbands as Christ loved the church and respect them because they're over you. When he throws that out there, what, what egalitarians are going to say is, well, that wasn't necessarily an instruction for all women all time, 
But that was an instruction for those women because culturally they were used to just going and doing their own thing because there was the temple of Artemis, their own female god, that they would go and worship their own way. And so Paul was reining it in because of cultural goofiness. Okay? Um, or when we get to the text in, in 1 Timothy it's, that, that says, um, I mean, this will rub some of you the wrong way, but I don't allow a woman um, to teach. Um, they're going to go back and they're going to say, well, no, that was just because women hadn't been educated yet. And so they shouldn't be teaching because they hadn't been educated yet. But once they've been educated, then everything is open. Okay. And so what's going to happen with the egalitarian viewpoint is that we're always going to come back and say, well, Paul didn't mean it. He meant it for that group. He doesn't mean it for us. And that's compelling. It makes sense. And there is a lot of value uh, in, in the egalitarian movement. One, because it starts with Scripture, and it studies Scripture, and it opens up Scripture, and it looks at context, and that's what we love, okay? But again, we think it falls short, and I'm going to show you why we think that's the case as we get into this, this other thing. So complementarianism is basically this, distinct yet dependent, equal value but designed with distinction, okay? And, and we think that that becomes very clear as we look through Scripture, Start in Genesis. Uh, we already read the Genesis 1. Uh, God creates them male and female um, in his image. Uh, but this is the one that, that causes a lot of bristling. So if you're a woman here today and you don't know me well, please listen carefully. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a gal here today and, and you don't know me, you don't know my heart well, we haven't had this relationship, I, listen, okay? I'm, please hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. Okay, Uh, but here's what it says. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. And and the Greek, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word for that is helpmate. Okay, And, and what happens when I say this is a lot of people, women especially, they start to get upset or uptight or irritated about the fact that they're being called a helpmate. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a second. But but I want you to get the context here. God creates perfectly. There is no sin in the world. There is no sin anywhere in the world. Sin doesn't exist. God creates in perfection. Uh, the, the natural order is perfect. Uh, the, the universe is, is everything that God intends it to be. And God creates man. Now this is next to Jesus, Adam here in this context is the manliest man that ever has been. So you can decide in your own brain what that means. Some of you think that means he had grease all over his face and he was working on engines, except he wouldn't have to work on engines because they would all work well because there's no sin, so everything's, nothing is broken. Um, some of you picture him sitting on a horse, saddled up, riding around, roping cows, right? Some of you think that means he's playing baseball or he's at a Cubs game. I don't know what you picture, but he is the manliest guy that ever has been with the exception of Jesus. He is the epitome of manhood. God creates him male. There is no sin in the world. He is exactly what God intended him to be, and God looks at him and says, that ain't going to work. I mean, that's the way that plays out. God looks at him and says, oh, time out. This isn't good. Something about that man is not good enough. Now, God's not surprised by this. That's by design, because he knows what's going to happen, but he creates this man, and he's like, you know what, here's man, and, and, and he ain't right. 
And some of you are like, I know. (laughs) But that's the way this works. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make him a helpmate who is just for him. Um, and, And when God goes and he makes him a helpmate, he is very intentional in the way that he does it. He doesn't create a buddy, right? He doesn't, he doesn't go get him a best buddy that will hang out with him, right? He doesn't go get him some frat guys that can pal around together and play some touch football in the quad on campus. I just had a flashback there, never mind. Um, he doesn't do those things. What he does is he creates woman, a helpmate, but you can't bristle, you can't get upset, you can't get frustrated at the word helpmate. That Hebrew word for helpmate, women, I need you to understand this, that is the very same word that God uses for himself when he talks about how he interacts with the people. When he talks about how he comes alongside the Israelites, how he delivers the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians, how he, through Moses, parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land, how he drives their enemies out before them, how he brings rain in season. All of those things, when God talks about that, he uses this very same Hebrew word for helpmate. He says, I, God of the universe, who is all-powerful and who creates all things, I am a helpmate for Israel. And so, God has this this huge esteem and value for women that he gives them the same role for men, okay? This is before sin, but this is distinction now. This isn't oneness. This is oneness together in Christ, but each person having a unique role, okay? And so here's what I need you to understand about this. this. Get this. The deficiency, it's not with women. It's us. The deficiency is with men. God looked at us and he said, hey man, you guys are awesome, but you're not good enough. I need to get you a helpmate, okay? And so what happens when we say helpmate, when we read that text, feminists would read that text and they would say, hmm, you're trying to make us subservient. We're your helpers, right? Because automatically we go to this thing, like what do we have as classroom teachers? What do we have in our classes? Student helpers, right? What do they do? They wipe off the boards, okay? They, they might go get us a glass of water. If I forgot something, um, because all of a sudden I forgot how many kids were in my class, they'll run to the office and ask the secretary to make an extra copy of this worksheet that we're all supposed to be doing. There are helpers. We get this idea of helpers, right? That, that uh, we read that, and, and, and because we have this distrust of um, the way that this works out, because, men, we've abused We've abused this role as headship, as the leaders of our families. We've abused this role far too many times. And so what happens is we have this bad taste in our mouth that, we, that, that when we say, well, women were designed and created to be helpmates, that somehow we think that makes them subservient. It's not. God is our helpmate. There is no way that God is subservient. The deficiency between God and Israel is with Israel. He serves as the helpmate to fix what's deficient in Israel. In our relationships, men and women, women serve as the helpmate to men. They're there to help fix what's deficient in us. For me to be who God called me to be, as Matt Hance, Carrie needed to come along. 
God needed to give me Carrie to be my helpmate so that I could be who I was supposed to be. My deficiency, Carrie comes along and she makes me better. Those of you that knew me before, none of you knew me before Carrie score. Um, for those people that knew me before Carrie, know, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Ladies, when you think about your husbands, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you that have just known me these last few years, you're like, man, she made him better? She needs to step it up. I get it, right? I'm a work in progress, but, but God knew that I needed that. And so that's how this works. Distinct yet dependent. See, it's kind of like God knew what he was doing. But in this context, this is where everybody flourishes. This is where everybody flourishes in the role that God's given them. Everybody is to their fullest, okay? And so we keep going, uh, and we get to uh, the egalitarian argument that the curse is what injects headship into the world. And we're going to argue that. We're going to look at this and say, no, um, that doesn't make any theological sense when we look at it in this context. Okay, what God does is when he comes and he gives the curses in Genesis 3 is what he does is he takes his created order and he injects difficulty into what he's created. And it starts with the ground. And he says, men, you worked the ground before. Well, you're going to keep working the ground, but I'm injecting difficulty into it. And so now it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat from it. What used to be easy is now going to be difficult. Childbirth. You know, women were designed to have children before the fall. It's not like childbirth is a new thing, just like working the ground wasn't new. Childbirth isn't new, but what God comes in is, he says, you were designed to have children before, but now I'm injecting difficulty into childbirth. And your relationships you were designed to have this headship before, but what's happening now is it's not new, but just like working the ground and just like childbirth, what's happening is we're coming in and God says, I'm injecting difficulty because of the curse into the idea of headship. And so now where your husband used to thrive as your leader and you used to respond to him because you knew he was following God, so it was easy to follow him, and you were going where God wanted you to go. Now, I'm injecting difficulty, and so your desire will be to rule over him, but he is going to rule over you, and it has this, this whole thing. But it's not new. Headship isn't new. It's just jacked up now. It's the same with all of this. None of this is new. It's just messed up because sin has been injected in. And, and I think that makes sense. Hopefully you're tracking that. And, and it's, not a matter of, um, it's not a matter of value. It's a matter of creation. Everyone has value, but we're created to do this differently. Okay? Um, and so we get to then Ephesians. Um, and this is one of the texts that the egalitarians would say, well, no, this is, this is all contextual. And when Jesus comes, um, he wipes out headship and he wipes out distinction. And he says, now everybody is equal and there's no way anything can work anymore in a hierarchy kind of a way. Uh, in fact, in an egalitarian family, egalitarian understanding, here's what it would look like. In our family, we would never do anything unless... Uh, unless Carrie and I both completely understood and saw things in exactly the same way in the church, it, it would happen the same way, but 
what God says in Ephesians 5 is, no, there's still hierarchy. Through Christ, what he's done is not abolish hierarchy, but what he's done is he's injected, he's injected his grace back to his original plan for us to see how things work. So Ephesians 5 tells us this, wives, this means submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. Oh, and I get it, man, that stings, especially if your husband sucks. No, listen, you laugh, but I'm serious because we've got far too many husbands who don't understand what the next part of this means. And so because they're the head of the family, they lord it over their spouse and their children and they ruin it because they haven't read the rest of it or they don't understand what it says. So I get that that's awkward and uncomfortable, but, but it shouldn't ruin anything here. Read what this says. Wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. And we're like, okay, we get that. But here's the husbands. This means you love your wives. How? The way that Christ loves the church. And the way that Christ loves the church is sacrificially. The way that Christ loves the church is to the point of death. The way that Christ loves the church is in humility. The way that Christ loves the church is to pour himself completely out so that there is nothing left for the sake of the church. Men, that's how you're supposed to love and lead your families. That's what this call is here. And so a lot of times we bristle at the idea of male headship because men don't know how to be at the head because they don't know how to pour themselves out for the sake of their families. Ladies, if you're here and you're single... Pay attention, because this is what you're looking for. You are looking for a spouse. You are looking for a husband who will love God with such fervor and will follow Christ with such passion that he will pour himself out for you. That's what you're looking for, because that's where you have the freedom to flourish, is when, when um, this happens correctly. Okay, We keep going. Um, this is one of those difficult texts in 1 Timothy. Um, it says, women should learn quietly and submissively. I know, I know, just work with me here. Uh, by the way, I'm going to say this, and it's, it's probably going to rub some of you the wrong way too. Uh, when I say that I am a complementarian and we as a church are complementarians, uh, I'm going to say this, we are not complementarians apologetically. We're not apologetic about this. We are understanding God's word the best we can, and we're pushing it forward. Okay? Uh, we're not apologizing for what God has designed. Okay? I say that knowing that this is going to rub you the wrong way, but I'm asking you to stick with it for a second as we, as we work through this. Okay? Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God made Adam first and afterward he made Eve. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say about this. Okay? First things first, focus on uh, the first command there. Women should learn. That was countercultural. A lot of times, if we, if we read the Bible with distrust uh, for men or masculinity or headship, we read that and we say, oh, that is meant and designed to keep women down. But the first command in that text is let women do something that they've never been allowed to do before. 
because of the way that God has radically changed people's lives and because of the way that Christ has done this work in the church to inject what should have been seen as headship from the beginning, but that it's been distorted since the fall. God is injecting this back into things. He says, so in this context, let women learn. Stop keeping them in the dark. Stop treating them, again, patriarchy, stop keeping them down as if they have no value and they can't handle it. Let them learn. This is actually countercultural, but not in the way that you think it is. This isn't designed to keep women down. This is designed to bring women up. When Paul says, let them learn. In synagogues, in temple, women weren't allowed to enter the teaching area. They weren't allowed. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not the way we do this now in Christ. Let them in. Let them learn. Okay? And the other thing about this that we have to understand is that um, egalitarians will tell us, well, um, everything's cultural. You know, when Paul puts restrictions in there, it's cultural. Egalitarians would say something like, well, the reason we don't let women serve as elders in that church is because they hadn't learned yet. So let them learn so they'll learn in quietness and submissiveness and they won't have authority over a man. But this would perceive a time when eventually they will because it's cultural is how egalitarians would say it. But here's, here's the point I'm going to make to you. The answer is right here in the text. Paul doesn't tie it to the culture. He does that in other places when he's talking about cultural things. He ties it to the culture. What does he tie this to? He ties it to creation. He ties it to the created order. What he's saying here is women should learn. Yes, women should be actively a part of the ministry of the church. Women should be involved in that. But they shouldn't serve in this role. Why? I don't know. That's because that's the way God designed it. And he says, because God made Adam first and after he made... He, he ties this to creation, not to the culture. So it's impossible to read this text, whether I like what it says or not. It's impossible to read this text and say, oh, this has nothing to do with us. This has to do with just that culture. No, 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 no. Paul makes sure that it has to do with us by tying it to created order. He ties it back to Genesis. And so this is, this is how we do this. This is what we understand. And so uh, the question is then, what does this look like for us? Uh, i tell you what it looks like for us. It, it looks like... Um, understanding that men and women are equal in dignity, value, and worth. Women have been gifted by God and called by him to play a significant role in the ministry of the church. Women have the same access to grace that men do. Women, if you've got anybody here um, telling you that, that, that you're not equal to or that you're not valued or esteemed as much because you're a woman, then that is completely contradictory to the message of scripture. It's completely contradictory to the message of the church. Women are equal in value, but we are distinct yet dependent on one another. And so we ask the question, well, what does that look like here at Blessed Hope? How do we view complementarianism? And what that means is, is that basically women have freedom to serve wherever Scripture allows. Uh, men serve wherever Scripture allows. Uh, and the only area of distinction that we would make is where Scripture does, which is elder and pastor. Elder and pastor, really, we're going to see next week when we tackle leadership, um, are the same word. Okay? So as an elder, we would say that's where God draws a line, and so therefore that's where we draw a line. Not apologetically, but because that's the best way we understand Scripture. And it has nothing to do with value. It has nothing to do with 
um, ability. It has nothing to do with the way that God's desired it. God has given us passions, and it doesn't mean that women shouldn't teach. And it doesn't mean that women shouldn't lead. And we're going to hear from Malia in a second. And she's going to share with us some of her thoughts about how this plays out in her role as a minister of faith. Okay? Um, but I'm going to tell you this. I have no problem um, being a part of ministry of women. Some of the best Bible teachers that I know, um, two of the best that I've listened to recently. I don't know. How many of you are familiar with Beth Moore? Beth Moore is a ridiculously gifted Bible teacher, and I will sit under her teaching, and I will learn, and I will be encouraged, and I will grow, okay? Um, Beth Moore, by the way, would agree with everything we've said this morning. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Jenny Allen? I know you're like, oh, if gathering, I love Jenny Allen. Um, again, gifted Bible teacher, I would respond um, to everything she opens up. We went to Right Now Conference last April, uh, last May, and Jenny Allen was one of the, and and I'll say this because I know Malia will get excited, Bianca Oltoff was there too. Um, And and we responded to their teaching and and we grew, and it's not like we said, oh, time out, woman teaching, can't listen, got to go. No, of course not. But again, Um, Jenny Allen would agree uh, as a complementarian with what we're talking about here. And and the reason is because we understand that where God has laid out scripture, we have the ability to flourish and thrive. Uh, But there's a point where God says no, and we honor what God says yes to, and we honor what God says no to. All right, Malia, you want to come on up? Um, I I just thought it would be helpful for us um, to spend a couple of minutes uh, talking um, with Malia here, and microphone's there. and just kind of going over a little bit what complementarianism looks like functionally here at the church. And we're, we're blessed to have uh, maybe some firsthand understanding from Malia about what some of this stuff looks like for her uh, here at the church. And so uh, I guess let's start with this. With regards to this topic, do you feel like um, is this complementarian view, is that something that you go along with or is it something that you agree with? I definitely would say it's something I wholeheartedly agree with. Uh, you know, if you've been with us any length of time, you know that, you know, when Matt's drilling down on a point, he always encourages us and says, hey, don't take my word for it. He's like, you know, go do your own research, study the Bible, um, find out for yourself, and, and, and just don't listen to what he says all the time <laughs> and just assume that he's right. Um, and so I would say, you know, from... All of my study in scripture and from um, this, the research and, and the, the different pastors I listen to in podcasts and, and the different places I turn to um, definitely point to complementarianism. And, and frankly, um, I think it's kind of always been on my radar just with the church that I grew up in. Um, it wasn't always this way, but I know towards the end when my, my family left the church that we were at um, that's in this community, uh, women led the church there. And, and that's one of the reasons why we left, because it, it didn't work. It was incomplete. Okay. Um, so I guess, I mean, I think I would know the answer to this question, but, but so do you feel like, you know, as you understand this teaching, as you unpack this, do you feel like you have less to offer than uh, men? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I, I think that, you know, we all have something to offer. It just looks different. You know, there are so many times when, you know, Matt pops into my office and he's like, hey, you know, this situation's going on or, or you know, whatever. He's like, 
he knows, you know, what is in his bailiwick and what is not, and what is not there. But, um, you know, him as a man, naturally he's going to respond to something differently than what women will. And so sometimes I'm, I'm right with him and I'm like, yeah, I think that's exactly what, you know, should happen. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, I think there's a, a gentler, softer way to approach this. Um, and, and so that's, that's good to have that and that he takes that into consideration. Um, I think also that um, we need to remember as women that, you know, God's design for us isn't um, limiting, but that it's good because we offer different things than men do. You know, we're, um, Scott and I are doing the Love and Respect small group with Matt and Carrie right now, and, and some of the things that we're looking at are how men and women respond differently to things. And, and one of the best examples, I think, is, you know, because I've done this myself, is a woman goes into her closet and she says, oh, I have nothing to wear. And what we mean by that is, I have nothing new, right? Uh, are you with me, ladies? Uh, when a guy goes to his closet and says, oh, I have nothing to wear, it's because he has nothing clean, you know? And, and so when you look at things differently like that, there's, there's this balance that has to be there. That doesn't usually stop us. <laughs> true, true story. I have boys too, so yeah, it's kind of dicey there. Um, but I think that, um, you know, we, we need to get away from the mentality of, like, women being permitted to do things versus women being pursued to do things in the church. And, and I think that Matt and the elders here do a fantastic job of that because, you know, if you look at all of the major decisions that happen here, you know, ultimately they're the authoritative, you know, figures here, but they always include other people in those decisions and not just other women, but other men that aren't elders as well. And so, you know, one of the prime examples that, you know, Mike had touched on this morning is the vision team. Um, that's a team that's comprised of both, you know, male and female, um, and, you know, they're making that decision together, uh, both elders and non-elders. Um, our search team, when we were looking for our youth pastor, and, and when we were looking for Matt, frankly, too, um, I happened to be a part of the, the search team for the children's pastor, and just, you know, I never ever felt like my voice or my opinion didn't matter. Like, it was definitely equally, um, equally voiced there. Yeah, okay. You're looking at <laughs> like, she's, she's ready for the next question. Um, I guess my, my, last, my last question for you would be a little bit is like, so, um, I, I mean, maybe a two-parter. So, do sure. you feel like you have a, a leading and teaching role here at the church? Yes, absolutely. I think, um, you know, just as a non-staff person, it, it started a long time ago um, with, you know, serving in, in children's ministry and serving on that team there, and it's kind of snowballed since then, and now being on staff here, my hand's kind of in a lot of different areas. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think I, I definitely have a, a leading role here, but I think what we need to remember, and what's really important about that is that I can definitely do those things, but you know, no one should ever look at me or turn to me as their primary shepherd, their primary teacher. You know, ultimately, that's still Matt and the elders. Okay. So, so then last thing is, is I'm curious. So how does, when we talk about this idea of complementarianism, and we talk about um, your role serving um, on staff here at the church, um, how do you see this as creating the most flourishing for both men and women. We've said that a couple times today, that, that this is God's design for flourishment of men and women together. How does that work? 
I would go back to how, you know, the church is a model um, of family, just like, you know, in our own households. Uh, and that, you know, just as an example, so, you know, I'm super active here at church. I, I'm involved in a lot of things. There are some weeks when I have, you know, several meetings. Sometimes, you know, I double up on nights and have, you know, a lot of meetings. You know, and then there's my husband at home who could be, you know, uh, I really need you here, or, or we've got this and that, you know, and granted, we work together on that, but more often than not, he says, okay, you've got this going on this week, how can we make it work, and, you know, and really just supports me in, in the roles that I, that I have here, uh, and then, you know, of course, I do likewise for him, um, and so I think that, you know, when we do that, and when we allow that space here for, and just give room for women to do their thing, and for men to do their thing, you know, and ultimately, it's going to allow for the best flourishing, I think. Um, yeah. All right, great. Thank you. <laughs> hey, listen, I want to encourage you, if you've got follow-up questions, and you want to pick Malia's brain a little bit, um, do so after the service, or, or sit down, you know, buy her a cup of coffee, figure out a time. Um, to, to visit with her and have that conversation because I think there's a lot to glean. Fair enough. Um, uh, okay, so, so here's where we're at. Um, and and uh, we're going to dig into this more because next week we look at then what is the role of elders and deacons and deaconesses in the church, okay? Uh, and, and when I say this, some of you at the end of this today are thinking, man, that guy is way too old-fashioned. Uh, next week when I talk about how women are called to serve in mighty ways and have power and voice, position and vote, and, and serve in leadership, yes, even leadership over men when it comes to ministry teams and, and as deaconesses, some of you are going to say, man, you are way too progressive, okay? But here's what I'm going to tell you. The way that we understand this is just what God has put in Scripture and what we can take from it. Okay? And so if you've got questions, I want you to talk to me. I want you to have a conversation with me. And I want to tell you again that if you, again, if you're coming from a church or a background that, that says, hey, egalitarian is the way that this works, I'm glad you're here. Okay? Uh, you know where we are and how we stand on that. But what I'll say is this. Okay? We're not mad at those churches. In fact, we partner with those churches all the time. We have coffee and conversation with Revolution Church tonight. They're a church um, that, would, that would classify themselves as an egalitarian church. They understand that we're a church that would, that would classify ourselves as a complementarian church. It's, it, it doesn't change the gospel nature of what we do, and it doesn't change the authority of Scripture. Okay? And so um, we get to disagree on this, but I wanted to unpack for you where we are. Okay? I'm going to pray for us. Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, as I close in prayer, I'm going to ask the praise team and the elders to come forward, and we're going to prepare to serve communion, and then we'll close our service. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you've um, put these things down in scripture uh, to share with us uh, what it is that you have for us. I, I mean, you, you have designed us uh, to work well together. You've designed us to be one with one another, to be um, distinct, yet at the same time be dependent for our flourishing and for the advancement of your church and our families. Um, that's your good design. And so, Father, we, we are proud to be a part of it. We ask that you help us understand and give clarity to these things. We ask that you give us grace where we struggle a little bit and that uh, you just continue to pour um, that out on us here this morning. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.